All right, we're going we're gonna to take off here this morning. Um, we're going to continue on in 1 Peter. We started here a few weeks ago. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter encourages us. He said in verses 3 to 6, he said, You've been born into this living hope. We're born, we're born again, actually, into this living hope. It's a hope that's not dead. You and I have a, a hope that is alive. You know, we could stop at each one of these verses and we could just spend a week on like each verse. We could spend hours just talking about the living hope. And we could go around the room and you could have testimonies about the, the old days when you, you kind of had hope, but now you have a real, now you have a living, there's something inside of you that says, I, I really want to see what's coming, man. I, I believe God's got big things for us. There's a living hope. And, and then... Uh, Peter says, you're not only given that, you're not only born again into that living home, but also there's an imperishable inheritance for us. There's something coming that we're inheriting that's greater than anything we've seen on earth. I have a good friend who inherited his dad's business, and then after the, the business was in the process of dying, when his, he got the, the business from his dad, so they ended up shutting down the business, and then he inherited this massive building on the two main intersecting streets in Hibbing, and I talked to him one day, and I said, well, it must be really great. You're, you're just enjoying this inheritance, and he said, sometimes an inheritance can be a dead weight. He said, I, I inherited this building, but he said, it's, it's worthless to me. It is so outdated. Every, every year, the taxes on are so outrageous. He said, I've got to work overtime just to pay for this inheritance. Well, that's not the type of inheritance that we're getting, right? We're getting an imperishable inheritance, one that cannot spoil, it cannot fade. It's kept for heaven, in, in, in heaven for us. There is an inheritance coming. And, and here's the deal. I don't think we can even begin to comprehend what that looks like, what that's going to feel like, what that's going to be. We, we really fall so short on that. But Peter tells us that in that first couple of verses, and, and, and you know, I, you all know me by now. Um, I was kind of hoping we'd get through this in five or six weeks, but that might be chapter one. That's kind of the way that goes, Sorry. Peter says, you've got these gifts and we've got this new life even though we may need to go through some trials. You might have some trials along the way before we see the fullness of these gifts. And Peter knew what he's talking about. This isn't just a, a theological or theoretical dissertation. Peter knows what he's talking about. So I want to look at, because we, we've talked about trials before and <clears throat> And I want to look at this from a scriptural perspective. I want us to understand that Peter's not just throwing out, well, you might have some problems. He understood it. Acts chapter 4. Now, this is after Jesus has, has called the disciples. He's got the 12 following, and they've been following him for probably about a year and a half. He actually was ministering for about three years, and they, they followed him for about 18 months. And Peter's already that guy who said, I'll never leave you, I'll never leave you, I'll never leave you until the pressure came. And then he's like, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who Jesus is. Denied Jesus three times. He's gotten to the point where he's come back to Christ, where Jesus, I believe, has restored him. How many of you know that even when we fail God, he doesn't fail us? He's still willing to restore us and put us back in right position. We, just because we fail him doesn't mean that's the end. Amen? 
So Peter has gone through that restoration. He's, he's gotten up on the day of Pentecost and he's preached. And when he got up and he preached, 3,000 people came to Jesus in one day. Yeah. Woo. Man, that was the jump start of the church. Three, what a sermon. And here's the deal. From what I understand, he didn't even have notes. 3,000 people. Can you imagine what happened when I threw my notes away? You didn't have a mic either. <clears throat> Here's what it says in uh, Acts chapter 4. So, so this has all gone on, and now what we have is, is Peter's got trouble, but he doesn't have trouble from the, from the, the political side. He doesn't have trouble. He's got trouble from the religious side. He's got trouble from the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and all the religious leaders. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. One of the reasons the Sadducees are sad, you see, is because they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're Sadducees. And the Pharisees, it was all about religion, and, and you've got to do all this, and it's not fair if you get to go to, to heaven. So the Pharisees were all about what's fair, and the Sadducees were just sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They blew it. They missed it. We don't have to be sad, you see. We believe in the resurrection. But I can go on this all afternoon, I'm here to tell you. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching people and they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. What did they put them in jail for? Preaching the gospel. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who grew to about 5,000. Now we've gone from, from this quick jump start on the day of Pentecost to 3,000 men. Now we're up to about 5,000 because the, the disciples, the apostles, this is what Jesus is hanging his whole future on. The whole life of the church, this whole thing we call the church of Jesus Christ, that whole thing hinged on 12 men. Twelve men who lived lives that, were, that had failures in them. Every one of them failed at some point along the way. And yet Jesus is hanging the whole life of the church, everything that you and I here believe and we receive and what we read in the New Testament, all that hangs on 12 men who, are, who had failure in their DNA just like you and I. And these guys get tossed into prison. But before they did, people are starting to believe what they're saying. They're believing this truth about Jesus. Why? Well, we talked about this last week. Not only did Jesus die, descend into hell, set the captives free, but he and those captives came back, and they actually walked around. And Jesus, the Bible says, appeared to about 500 people all, at, all in a matter of just a few days. There is a story to tell. People were seeing dead people walk around, and this isn't some sci-fi thing, Stephen King thing. This is a real deal. These were people that had died and were righteous, had believed in God but hadn't seen Jesus yet. Now they came back to life before they ascended into heaven. And people saw Jesus, and they're, they're trying to grab a hold of all this. But people are believing. They needed to know what was going on. So, so what is this all about? Why are they so mad? Well, it's jealousy is one of the things. Envy, these are the religious leaders. It's not the political machine that was upset. This is the religious community that was turning against the belief in God. Do we get that? Sometimes in our religion, sometimes in our, 
our belief system, we get so fixed on you have to do it exactly right this way. And if you don't do it the way I do it, then you're wrong. By the way, then I'm going to persecute you. Then I'm going to let everybody know that you're a scum. People, people don't believe. Corey's got it wrong. Don't believe Corey. Don't believe Corey. Don't believe. We're going to persecute each other. You know, that's, that's the whole religious. That's what religion is. Religion is just about a list of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. We believe that we're involved in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It goes far deeper than just some kind of religious experiment, just some, some type of, of formalities. So you've got to do all the do's and don'ts. As a matter of fact, I think Peter gets into this a little bit later, dealing with the do's and don'ts. But it's not just about a bunch of religious rules and laws. This is about those songs that we just sang. Jesus, to you we give our lives. Do you believe that? At our men's conference, Barry said, when he was leading worship, he said, somebody said one time that Christians don't tell nearly as many lies as they sing. We sing more lies than we tell. Jesus, to you we give our lives. Do we really? What does that look like? What does it look like when we lay our lives down for one another? What does it look like when I surrender all, I surrender all, all to you, my precious Savior, I surrender. What what does that life look like? I'm not going to serve those lousy kids. I didn't like teenagers when I was one. Hang on. We laugh. Are we going to lay down our lives for one another? And it's the religious people that are turning away from this. That drops on down in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law, we're talking about religious law. We're talking about the Old Testament. We're not talking about political law or civil law. The teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. He was the former high priest. John, Alexander, and others from the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power or authority or what name do you do this? Now, we don't understand this, but back in the day, every time a rabbi got up and spoke or every time a rabbi got up and taught, usually it was in temple, when they went to expound on something, they did it in the name of another rabbi. Okay, they didn't do it in their own name. They were a disciple of somebody. So if you were the disciple of, of Rabbi Johnson, you would say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to teach you this principle and I'm going to teach you this in the name of Rabbi Johnson. This is what Rabbi Johnson teaches, right? This is what Rabbi Alexander teaches. This is what Rabbi whoever teaches. So when they were asking whose name or whose authority are you preaching in, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus because he was not part of the religious elite. 
We have to understand the context of this. We've got to see exactly what's, what's going on here. Peter then, in verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you remember back in Acts, it says uh, in several places, when they talked to Peter, they could tell that they were not speaking with educated men. You know how they knew that? It's because they were just speaking, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't speaking in the name of some other rabbi. He wasn't educated by another rabbi. He was educated by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You and I have that same Holy Spirit available to us today. One of the things that they said about Jesus was, was he spoke with authority that they had never seen. Why is that? Because he was speaking about his father. He was speaking about himself. He was speaking about something that he understand, so understood so deeply. He's telling them about himself. Peter then, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, get this, hang on. Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, he was, he was pulled up and, 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 and arrested because he prayed for Everett and Everett got healed. Boop. Peter prayed for Dina and Dina left her boot alongside, prayed for Corey, prayed for Bill, for Bob, for Susie, and they got healed, and he got tossed in jail for that. And Peter says, look, if you're calling to find out whose name I'm preaching and which rabbi I'm following that I can preach and that I can, that people can be healed, if you're, if you're calling me to account for the kindness of seeing somebody healed, then I'm going to tell you. If we're being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and being asked uh, how he was being healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you crucified. But God raised him from the dead, and this man stands before you healed. I was just praying for Bob, and Bob got healed, and, and I prayed for him in Jesus' name, not in Reverend Johnson's name, but I prayed for him in Jesus' name. By the way, you all killed Jesus. You all had him crucified. He was raised. I'll tell you something. You start preaching the gospel, there's a real possibility that you're going to ruffle some feathers. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and tick people off intentionally, Right? What I'm telling you is, if you tell the truth, sometimes people don't like it. They don't like it. Yeah. By the way, this Jesus is the same Jesus that you all crucified. Just want you to know that. What authority? By the authority of the one who died, who descended into hell, who set the captives free, who came back, walked around here on earth for 40 days. That's the authority. The one who has risen to the right hand of his father. That's the authority by which I speak. That's the gospel. I want you to understand something here. I believe the thing that really made him the maddest was this jealousy, and these guys were speaking under the unction or the authority of the Holy Spirit as they're declaring the gospel or the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus is it doesn't make any difference whatever it's done. The good news is God's going to forgive him and set him free and wants to put him on a right path and maybe even have him in church doing announcements someday. Amen. Right? Amen. That's possible. Was that possible in your old life? Was that the way you, no, no, I wish you could see his face. No, that is not where I was headed. When you preach under that authority, when you and I speak under that authority, what I want you to gather here is that you are, you're actually, okay, here, just please hear me out. 
when the apostles were writing what they were writing, the words that we read, you know that they're not under the inspiration of a man. They're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because there's life. And I believe when we declare the gospel on a regular basis, what we're actually doing is speaking under the authority of the Holy Spirit and that he is using us as a vessel. I'm, I'm going to tell you something about this guy sitting in the front row. I'm not sure how many people he's invited to church since he came here one Sunday morning and said, can I accept Jesus now or do I have to wait till the end of the service? No, 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 you can accept him now. It's good. But he keeps telling people about Jesus, keeps telling people about Jesus, keeps telling people about Jesus. Why? Because there's something going on inside. There's an unction of the Holy Spirit moving around in there. And the Holy Spirit just wants to get out, and he's open to it right now. Peter was open to it. He's like, if you're wondering how this guy got healed, all I can tell you is it was by Jesus. It was by his authority, by his power, not by us. And if you're upset about us doing a good work, sorry, throw me in jail. It goes on. It goes on. <laughs> He's a, this, uh, uh, this man that stands before you speaking of the healed. Jesus, in verse 11, says, Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Please understand, this is a prophetic word from the Old Testament. This is a quote out of Psalms. These authorities, these religious leaders, knew that Jesus was using their prophetic guide against them, knew that Peter was using their prophetic guide against them. Peter saying, this is the one. You're looking for the Messiah? Here he is. Who else is doing all the healing? It's not us. It's not me. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Only by the blood of Jesus only by the blood of Jesus. You can come to church. You can be here Monday morning at 7 o'clock and stay here till Sunday night at, at midnight. And that is not going to get you saved. The only way we are saved, saved from God's wrath, saved towards the future, is through the blood of Jesus Christ, by him, through him only. That's it. There is no other way. Peter says, no other way. That's it. That's it. If you come to church looking to get a, a gold star every week and figure if you got, this is kind of what I thought of it. I thought if I had 52 hours a week when I was a kid, I was in a pretty good spot because I knew that Randy wasn't getting 52 hours a week and Chris certainly wasn't getting 52 hours a week. So that must put me in a pretty good spot with God, right? Got nothing to do with gold stars. It has nothing to do with our attendance. It has to do with the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ only. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Peter and John were jailed for preaching the gospel. They were jailed for praying for people. They were jailed for seeing people get healed. And then in verse five, in chapter 5, 5 begins with Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit. When they lied to the Holy Spirit, they both dropped dead. We read this too quick. We read this too quick. Can you imagine somebody walking into church and saying, ooh, pastor, I got an offering for you. In their head, they're saying, we sold a chunk of property for half a million dollars. But here, all we got was $100,000. Here, here you go. Peter looked at him and said, it's not me you're lying to. Boom. Out she goes. She's done. Gone. He was, I think. Ananias died first. Sapphira comes in later, and she's like, where's my husband? Uh, hate to tell you this, but that piece of property that you lied to us about, you really weren't lying to us about it. The money was yours. You could have done whatever you wanted. You could have said, we're going to give you a tenth. We're going to give you half. We're going to keep half. You can do whatever you want, but instead you chose to lie to the Holy Spirit 
She gets laid out too. They buried them both. What do you think that would do for church attendance? Better yet, what do you think that would do to the holiness of the attendees? Do you think all of a sudden we might get a little bit more real with God? There was some real stuff going on in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, second half of verse 40. The Sanhedrin, these religious officials, then they called the apostles and they had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. There's a whole section there. You should read it. It's really great, Acts chapter 4 and 5. But they had the apostles flogged. They had them whipped. They had them beaten, and they ordered them. Now, don't go out and speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin. That's their religious uh, high court rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for their name, for the name of Christ. Day after day, they met in the temple courts and they went from house to house and they never stopped teaching or proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They never stopped. They never stopped. They never stopped. As a matter of fact, you know, this again, this is just funny. This is a culture that we live in. Oh, they said bad things about me because of the way I preached. Well, I don't know, when was the last time you were flogged for something that you preached? And then how does that go? Oh, poor me, look, they beat me up. Nope, these guys are going, We've been counted worthy, worthy, because we preached the good news, we preached the gospel. They didn't like it, that's okay. They didn't like Jesus, they might not like you either. Well, I can't work there, those people don't like me. Keep preaching, brother. Keep preaching. Keep telling them the truth. Well, they don't like it. I, I get it. They don't like it. I get it. I say all this to say that when Peter talks about, you may have to experience troubles for a little while, he understands what he's talking about. It's not just theoretical. For me, it's theoretical. Nobody's ever punished me. I've never been flogged for preaching the gospel. I've never been arrested for preaching the gospel. I've never been been beaten or thrown out in the street for preaching the gospel. It's never happened to me. What I'm telling you is theoretical to me. Peter's not saying this is some theory. He's not saying this might happen. He's saying this has happened to me. It's happened to me more than once. Understand, if you want to see how real your faith is, because that's where this all comes from. That's what he's talking about. In 1 Peter, he's talking about with trials and persecution, you're going to understand if your faith is really real. And you're going to know because people are going to, are going to cause physical harm to you. And you're going to know if your faith is really real. You're going to know the genuineness of your faith. What are you really going to stand for? As of yet, in our country, we haven't experienced a whole bunch of that. But I want to tell you that all over the world, people experience that to this day. There are people, martyrs, there are places, I think it's called the 1040 zone. I don't remember exactly where it's at. I believe it's in Africa. It's between the 10th parallel and the 40th parallel. You don't dare name the name of Christ. You'll be persecuted for it. You might be murdered for it. 
It's that serious. It's that big of a deal. Matter of fact, we've had evangelists who've come here and they actually minister in that 1040 region and we can't broadcast those services because they can't let anybody know who they are. They'll be murdered coming into the country for declaring the gospel. Guess what? Just to the north of us in Canada, Canada's kind of lost their mind in some areas when it comes to this. Right now, there is a pastor by the name of Arthur Pulowski. He's a Canadian pastor. He's been arrested and jailed several times. He's waiting a sentence. I believe, if I'm correct, I believe his sentencing is tomorrow. There's a possibility of him facing 10 years in prison because he left his church open and preached during COVID. So did we. (laughs) 10 years for preaching the gospel. 10 years for saying, I believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman. That's what marriage should be. 10 years. He's, he's, He's looking at jail time for standing up for the truth of the word of God. Peter said, you might have to experience some times of trial and trouble, but when you do, you're going to know the genuineness of your faith. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. We roll so easy. We let go so easy. Jesus said, are you willing to stand? If you're, if you're willing to stand for me, if you'll declare me before man, I'll declare you Father. But if you're afraid to declare me before man, I'm going to deny you before my Father as well. Days are coming, folks. You'd have never thought that we're 100 miles away from somebody being thrown in jail because they kept a church door open, right? It's that close. We're there. Those, these are the days. We'll go back to First Peter. Now, First Peter, see, we, we might make a couple of verses out of Peter this week. It's kind of sounding like our men's group. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you loved him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with inexpressible, with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Understand this. As we begin to walk in that truth and that life, regardless of what's going on around us, we can have an inexpressible joy, an unspeakable joy. We can have a joy. We can have a peace. We can have a life that lives in us regardless of the circumstances around us. Around us. Hallelujah. Right? Yes. Right? I think so, Pastor. Oh, maybe it's going to happen. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? You better let your face know it. Let the world around you know it. Because we're going to need that peace that passes understanding down in our heart. Right? We're going to need that in our lives. How many of you need that today? How many of you need that inexpressible joy that's alive? I tell this story over and over again. I used to be a, a windshield installer, and I couldn't get glass delivered to my house because of where we lived. And so I'd go to this trucking company, and, and the one day the guy is pulling my, the boxes out of the trailer, and I walk in. Actually, he was driving a forklift, and he, and he shuts off the forklift, and he looks at me, and he's like, you know, every time you come in, it reminds me of a pregnant woman. 
And he's like, no, no, no. He said, it's that glow. There's something about you that's different. He said, you know how a pregnant lady glows? He said, there's something about you that's different. I said, let me tell you what it is. It's not that I like to do windshields. It's because I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I've got a peace that passes understanding. And that's available to each and every one of us. So, well, you don't know my life, Pastor. I don't need to know your life. I know the death that paid for that for you. I know the hope that comes through the cross. I know the life that comes through the cross. Get this. Get this next part in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, Peter said, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with great care, trying to figure out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. All week, I could preach on that all week. We go back to this. Concerning the salvation, this salvation, Peter says, concerning this salvation that we've been talking about, the prophets of old, the ones who came before 500 years ago, 700 years ago, 1,000 years ago, those prophets who spoke about that grace was to come, they searched intently. They were looking for it. They were trying to see, when is this going to happen? Because God, through, and, and get that next one, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them I've never read that before. I mean, I've read it, but I never saw it before. The Spirit of Christ was in them prophesying about the future. And these guys are trying to figure it out. What's that going to look like? What's that going to look like? When we did the book of Revelation here a year for, for a year, just going to cover the book of Revelation real quickly. We did it for a year. We can't exactly figure that out because we can't see it. We're looking. We're trying to figure it out. Peter said same way. The Old Testament prophets are the same way. They couldn't quite figure it out. They knew there was a Messiah coming. They knew there was a grace coming. They knew there was a hope coming. They knew there was peace. There was inexpressible joy that was coming. They couldn't quite figure it out. But Christ in them was causing them to write this all down for who? For us. For us. So that we can look back and go, I see it now. I see it. I've got this joy. They predicted it way back then. It had to be about that same Messiah. It has to be about that same Jesus. You say, well, how do you know Jesus is real? Because I live it every day. The Word's great. The, the, we, we see it in the Word. We read about the blood of Jesus. The apostles saw it. The witnesses saw it. But we get to live it every day. I do not have the ability to, to, to forgive on my own. I do not have the ability to walk in joy on my own. I tried it for 18 years without Jesus. I can't do it. Every once in a while, I'd get high. That made me high. You get a little stoned. All my concerns were gone. But that doesn't give you peace. That doesn't give you hope. That doesn't give you joy. It only gives you a little bit of happiness for a little bit. Matter of fact, I needed that because I didn't have hope. I needed that because I didn't have joy. I don't need that anymore because there's new life in me. That's what we get to walk in. That's what we get to walk in. That's the glories of this Messiah that we're going to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, Peter said, but they're serving you. And when they spoke of the things that, that they have been told that they've told to you by those who have preached the gospel, uh, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels, it was so glorious 
Listen, listen. Our salvation is so glorious, according to 1 Peter, even the angels are looking forward to it. You get that? Oh, pastor, I'd like to see an angel sometime. The angels are saying, man, I'd like to see salvation sometime. Look what these guys get to walk in. Look at the hope that they get. I don't think we get it. I don't think we get it. As as excited as you can get, as excited as we can get over a football game or a baseball game, the angels are going, that's nothing compared to what you really got. And here's the deal. We don't even, salvation, what's salvation? What's salvation? What's salvation? We believe, and Scripture says that we're instantaneously trained. We're taken out of the kingdom of darkness. We're brought into the kingdom of light. We're taken out of the darkness. We're brought into the light. So now we're in the light. Anyone who believes in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Well, they don't become all new instantaneously. My spirit becomes born again. But my, my walk, my life needs to, needs to take some time to catch up to that. All of a sudden, there's some things in my life that need to change. We're walking. So salvation is immediate, and it's ongoing, and it's in the future. It's immediate because we're born again instantly. We die, and now we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. It's ongoing because the more I walk with him, the more my life changes. The fruit changes. All of a sudden, I'm a different guy. People start recognizing he's, he's a different guy. But, but when we actually meet him face to face, when we stand in God's presence, anything that we've experienced regarding joy and peace and his grace and his love, all of this is just going to fade off into oblivion when we see him face to face. It's going to be so inexpressible. It'll be so unbelievable. It's going to be so much more than our humanity can even take in or understand. There is a new day coming for us. That's what Peter's talking about, right? Anybody want to walk in that? Woohoo! Well, guess what? You can. How do we do it? Accepting what Jesus has done on our behalf. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Peter said, this salvation, this salvation is so much more than what we're seeing right now. This gospel has been preached. This good news has been preached to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Grab a hold of that and let it come alive in you. John wrote in John chapter 1, The Word became flesh and dwelt among them, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter says, when you grab a hold of this, I want you to take all this hope and this trust and you place it right back in God. We're going to read about that. We're we're just not going to get into it today. We go on. The the prophets, they knew that they were prophesying. Even if you go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53. He had no idea. Think about this. Isaiah is what? 2,000 years before Jesus? And this is what he writes, Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Peter says, Isaiah wrote this for you. He didn't write it for himself. He wrote it for you. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Isaiah wrote that for you. He didn't write it for himself. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, we've gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own ways. And the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity, the tendency for sin for us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. But oppression and judgment, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was punished. He was taken out of the land of the living. That means he was killed for the punishment of God's people. Who are God's people? They're the ones who, who decided to accept who Jesus Christ was. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. They didn't just prophesy about Jesus' sufferings. They prophesied about his endurance. They prophesied about his returning. Psalm 16, 110 refers to the resurrection of the dead. Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 40. Jonah speaks of Jonah being in the belly of the fish, the belly of the whale for three days. Jesus actually referred to that himself. All these prophecies, Peter's saying, all these prophetic things that happened in the Old Testament, all of these were so that you would know that Jesus Christ was real. When he came back to life, you'd recognize, hey, I've seen that, I've heard that, I get that. You sit here today and you say, well, pastor, we're in church, we already get it. Well, then let's do something about it, right? I can't go on. I can't go on. I got too many pages to get my point, but let's do something about it. Let's walk in that truth every day. Let's walk in that light. Let that hope rise up in you. Peter goes on here. I got to do it. Hang on. You, 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 you give me a couple more minutes? I got a couple more minutes? I'm going to skip a couple of verses. We're going to drop down to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children then, what do you say? Well, what, what should I do about it? As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you once had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you to be holy, so be holy in all that you do. Do I have to be holy in order to be accepted by Jesus? No, you get accepted by Jesus and then holiness is a result of that. Why? Because I want to follow who God is. And if I'm really following after him, holiness is what's going to be behind me. It's going to be the result. You say, well, I, I got to try and quit smoking. No, you got to get closer to Jesus. The smoking will fall off. I, I got to quit doing this. You don't got to quit. You just follow Jesus. But understand when I say that, I'm not saying come to church, see how it goes. I'm saying follow Jesus. And when you feel that nudge on your heart that says, son, I need you to change in this area. Sorry, God, I don't want to hear that. Is not going to lead you to holiness. What's going to lead you to holiness is saying, okay, Father, I get it. You want to change something in my life. I need help. I need help. And he's like, all right, you press into Jesus. You'll get that help. We're going to come back to this next week.
we're going to press into this a little bit more. But I believe that if we really look at, because we weren't just bought with, with dollars and cents. We weren't just, somebody didn't just pay a ransom for us in dollars and cents. Like, you, you paid $50,000 for my salvation. I guess I can, I can give you $50,000 worth of service. Our salvation was paid for by someone's blood. By Jesus' blood. He set us free by his blood. If you're out there today, if you're watching us online, if you've never accepted what Jesus has done, today is the day. Today is the day. I'm not telling you you've got to follow a bunch of rules and regulations. What I'm saying is you follow Jesus, and as you follow Jesus, he's going to change you. He's going to transform you. You're going to come out of that kingdom of darkness into that kingdom of light, and it may not get all better right now. And As a matter of fact, even after it gets better, your faith might be tested a little bit. There's a pastor right now that we should pray for whose faith is being tested a little bit. There are people in this room, and your faith is being tested a little bit. Like, I know that I want to follow Jesus, but you don't know what my mate's like. You don't know what my brother's like. You don't know what my dad's like. You don't know what my job is like. Here's what I know. When our faith is tested, it proves the genuineness of our faith. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for each person. God, we specifically lift up our pastor to the north of us, our pastor friend in Canada. He is struggling. He's actually being persecuted for preaching the truth of the gospel. From what I understand, it sounds very legitimate. He's just standing up for what your word says, and he's being persecuted. God, we pray that you would help his faith to remain strong, help him to hang on to you. Jesus, that you'd meet him right there in that jail cell. He's not at home and under house arrest now, but tomorrow he is being, he's being sentenced. And we pray that your spirit would show up in that courtroom, God, and that righteousness would prevail. But we know what your word says. Troubles are coming. For each person in this room, each person who's watching online, God, I pray that as we're tested, as we go through the trials, we'd recognize this is not about I tried God and God didn't work. Is that I'm hanging on to Jesus in the middle of the storm and God, regardless of the storm, we're going to hang on to you and, and, our, and our faith will be proven out for our sake, not for anybody else, but so we know the genuineness of our faith. Help us, God. Help us, God, understand the preciousness. Help us understand that you want us to walk in truth and in life, and you want us to follow after you. And as we do, it's going to mean change. It's going to mean transformation. It's going to mean a holiness that we've maybe never walked in before. But you're looking to change us, your word says, from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day, and uh, be challenged this week. Amen.